I am so glad to have a chance to be here with you on this great day of celebration. There are so many joyful things. It's a culmination of much time of preparation and discerning and prayer and cooking, if I understand correctly, and cooking as well. And I have to say that uh, the last time I was here with my husband, Philip, uh, was when we were doing the walkabout, uh, which was about a million years ago, pre-COVID, right? That's, I think that's going to be a saying now, pre-COVID. And, um, and this was a beautiful and welcoming place. And the opportunity to come back and pray with you here just is a, a doubled joy for me. In our gospel today, we hear that Jesus is in Jerusalem. Now, this is his final time in Jerusalem. We are coming up on his day of betrayal and crucifixion and resurrection. But before that happens, he has gone to the temple. He sat inside. If you were to look at the chapter before this, you will see that he was watching people offer their gifts uh, at the temple and, and saw the, um, the widow who put in that widow's mite, two half pennies, which he said, you know, is greater than anything else that had been given. Jesus has spent much time around the temple. And then we hear how the disciples said, have you not seen how amazing this temple is? Look at the stones, look at the beauty of it. And I have to say, it sounds a little bit like a country yokel, right? It's just come in. And you know that these were devout men. So they, in fact, had been to, they'd been to the uh, temple before. But the temple was one of the great wonders of the world. And they talk about the size of the stones. They were the size of two of our pews. Um, they're, they're vast stones. So they had something to celebrate. And, and I can understand that coming into this church, I had a chance to look around and say, look at the beauty of this place. Look at the wonder of it. We know that sense of, of awe and rejoicing. But Jesus could see more than they could. Jesus could see um, some of the hollowness that was uh, behind those very stubborn and determined Pharisees and Sadducees and scribes. And he could also, I think, see the collision course that um, Judaism and uh, the Roman Empire were on. But he gave the word that we were to hold fast, to not be led astray, and to not be distracted. Even if you hear rumors of war and rumors of disaster, and, and these are words we can connect to. We have heard rumors of disaster, and this church has been evacuated, and there have been losses from terrible fires that have happened before. We know what it is to face some of that. And so it is good to hear that we are to hold fast to Christ. And that, of course, is why we are here today, not just to celebrate communion as part of this larger body, but to celebrate those who are coming into the body of Christ, those who are confirming reaffirming or being received into our practice of faith. One of the nice things about a visit from a bishop is it reminds us of the 
breadth of our family of practitioners of the Christian faith, those who are apprenticed and discipled to Jesus. And so we have um, great friends across the world. I have a chance every month to do a Bible study with other bishops in the Anglican communion. And so I get to hear how in the days of COVID in Pakistan, the Anglicans in Pakistan could not meet in their churches, just as we could not. Instead, they led worship on the flat roofs of all of their houses. And across those narrow alleyways and those closely placed houses, every one of them with a flat roof. And I have seen pictures of the families who gathered there. They found a little microphone set and they preached and sang and rejoiced and prayed together in that place. This is what extended cousins of your family, of our family are doing. And the cousinhood goes all the way back, generations back to those who were first prayed over by the, the apostles. So it is a day of real celebration. And we're going to use some important words when we get to the baptismal font. And I was thinking about how we get those words. You know, as little children, we acquire language um, in bits and pieces. It's fun to have a chance to overhear it. We have got a young granddaughter who is just learning some language. She actually doesn't have any words yet. But I have to say, when we listen to her week by week on FaceTime, we can hear a little bit more of the sounds are beginning to coalesce into, into, into shapes, clear shapes. But the other thing uh, that we can hear is that they're beginning to move these sounds into a kind of a cadence. A pediatrician that I know very well says that when we are learning to speak, we learn the music of language first, and then we learn the words. And that struck home to me because we learn to speak the language of faith in this gathered family. And this is the place where we learn the music of the language of faith. We learn the music of it, even before we have words to describe what we have felt or experienced, what we aspire to, we hear the music. And as wonderful as the music of this place is, I'm not actually just talking about what we have with notes on a page. There is a, there is a rhythm and a cadence and a movement to the music of our faith. And it is best learned in community. We are formed by our community. And you can learn something about a community by seeing what the natural reactions or maybe supernatural reactions that we have learned together. And those natural reactions in this place are pretty wonderful. One of the natural reactions is we are thrilled to have children in our midst. <laughs> and we are thrilled to hear the sound of children in our midst because um, prayer time at home in the morning is when we have silent prayer. When we are gathered in the community, we sound like a community. Rejoice in that. When we begin to learn that language of faith, 
we gather together. And one of the things that we are expressing that I believe has been expressed to me in some of the letters that came from those who are gonna be confirmed or reaffirmed or received, we hear about that sense of attachment. See, we will repeat the creed, but the fact is, it is that primary attachment, the primary relationship that we have to God through Jesus Christ. That is the source of the music of our language of faith. It is that attachment. We learn to put words to the attachment. We learn to tell other people about how that attachment has worked in our lives. That attachment causes us to get up early and start to cook bacon and eggs at the open table. That attachment causes someone to get here also early and make sure the bathrooms are cleaned between open table and the table that we gather at here in this place. This is all the expression of that vast language of faith. I am grateful to be in a place that speaks the language and is so focused on welcoming others in to be able to speak that language themselves. And the words that we lose, use for this language um, in the Christian family are distinct. Those words will include, you're welcome, thank you, I appreciate, I am grateful, I am sorry, I would like to try again. I forgive you. These are powerful, powerful words that we cannot express casually, but a heart that is full of that language of faith, that grace allows that grace to overflow in us so that that does become our native tongue. Even if we learned and grew up speaking another tongue. So it is my great prayer and my hope and my expectation that as we gather at the fountain, as we gather at the table, as we welcome new members into the body of Christ, we will all be speaking that common language, no matter how well we know those words, and that gathered together in hope here in this place, our prayer of, I will with God's help, will be transformed into our song of praise. Great is thy faithfulness. Amen.